0: What I'm most concerned about is how to get psychedelics in the hands of as many people as quickly and inexpensively as possible.
1: Mike Arnold is a former civil and criminal trial attorney turned cannabis farmer, but he talks like a true geek when he describes his latest business, a startup developing a nasal spray that delivers metered doses of psilocybin
0: like going control alt delete or going into windows safe mode really going into the coding and saying you know what i'm going to observe myself from this perspective from the safe mode you've got to observe something with the human mind to know that it's a rogue program that needs to be deleted
1: coming up on geekwire's health tech podcast psychedelic innovation and the future of health We're exploring the intersection of psychedelics, healthcare, mental health, and even spirituality with a journalist who's been reporting on the topic for GeekWire, two entrepreneurs looking to capitalize on future legislation of psychedelics, and a physician scientist who uses a form of psychedelics as part of his practice of medicine and psychotherapy. I'm GeekWire editor, Todd Bishop. We're hitting Control-Alt-Delete on this podcast today. Stay with us for a mind-blowing trip across a very different frontier. GeekWire's Health Tech podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross, providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately two million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at primera.com/innovation. All right, let's start with the journalist who reported this story for us.
2: So my name is Anastasia Ustinova. I'm based in Seattle. I'm a business journalist, and I've been in journalism for 15 years. My last uh, full-time job was with Bloomberg News, and I'm freelancing right now, writing business stories mostly about impact investing and all kinds of disruptive tech. And this story has been one of the <laughs> most fun I've had <laughs> in a while.
1: So We're also joined by two entrepreneurs exploring this field of psychedelics.
3: My name's Eric Boone. I actually entered the cannabis industry in uh, 2009, helming one of the first publicly traded medical cannabis companies. And um, really over the last 12 months or so, I think a lot of us who have been stalwarts in the industry have started to pivot more toward the psychedelics, especially those of us who have been more focused on the holistic and wellness aspect of cannabinoids and uh, now psychedelics.
1: And Mike, you used to be a criminal defense attorney.
0: Yeah, I used to, used to do a whole lot of stuff in the, in the lawyer space, and now I spend all my time in the, in the mushroom space. So yeah, my name is Mike Arnold, and I'm the founder and CEO of Silo Wellness. Uh, we've got some intellectual property uh, surrounding meter dosing solutions for psychedelics, including a psilocybin nasal spray that we had uh, developed in Jamaica, where psilocybin and other psychedelics are 100% legal. And we've uh, also moved into the consumer product space in the United States with siloreboot.com. That's a uh,
1: functional mushroom, you know, U.S. legal mushroom consumer product. And finally, a Seattle-based physician and scientist, an affiliate clinical assistant professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine who specializes in this field.
4: I'm Sunil Agarwal. I'm a physician and researcher. My area of specialty in medicine is hospice and palliative medicine and physical medicine and rehabilitation. I take care of patients who are chronically ill, seriously ill, and terminally ill. My research interests are in access to contraband botanical medicines such as psychedelics and cannabis my interest in psychedelic medicines in particular intersect with my interests in spirituality and health, which is important in um, palliative care and really integrative uh, health in general and legal advocacy for patients who are seeking medical and religious necessity defenses against current prohibition laws.
1: We're talking about this at an interesting time in multiple respects. Number one, the legalization efforts that Silo Wellness is looking to capitalize on and that Dr. Agarwal, you are obviously very interested in based on your practice. We're in the midst of a pandemic, and I know there are some implications with psilocybin there indirectly as a psychological impact. Anastasia, what interested you in this topic, and what should people know about where the world is, where the U.S. is, and where we all are in terms of psilocybin?
2: So when I originally started reporting back in January, I focused on the changing narrative around psychedelics. But uh, what was interesting is that last year was uh, a tremendous year, you know, in the field of psychedelic science. And there was a huge shift in perception and public perception towards this psilocybin-assisted therapy. We've seen both John Hopkins University and the uh, Imperial College of London opening new research centers. They get funded and they receive like more than $20 million in private investments. At the same time, the FDA also granted another breakthrough therapy designation for psilocybin in major, for major depression. So that was huge. Meanwhile, Oregon may become this year one of the first states to legalize and decriminalize the use of mushrooms in uh, uh, psychotherapy. So this is kind of a Very interesting time to be talking about this space. And obviously, investors have been very, very curious and interested and attracted because of the lack of any kind of innovation in the the depression and in the depression uh, treatment space uh, since like, you know, the early invention in the 80s and the 90s. Um, And I think I've seen the latest numbers from the CBI Insights that the investments, the private equity investments in in, uh, psychedelic medicine have jumped since 2017 from 2.8 million to 32.7 million uh, as of this year. Meanwhile, it's also becoming a part of the sort of mainstream conversation. We had the 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper exploring this topic very thoroughly last year. Which is also that generated a lot of buzz. Billionaires at the World Economic Forum, they got pitches from companies that they're developing drugs, psilocybin drugs uh, for uh, addiction, and I think there was another company pitching to them. And then, like you know, we had this uh, interesting series uh, from Gwyneth Paltrow, who sent her staffers to Jamaica, of all places to uh, psilocybin assisted therapy so definitely a very fun and interesting time to be watching this space and it's you know it's only going to get better and more interesting but you know given what's happening now in the world and all this trauma and all this incredible anxiety coming to the surface It's interesting for me to see what Sunil has to say about his experience treating patients facing death and facing anxiety about death.
1: Sunil, if you could jump in on that, that'd be great. Even just a little bit of Psychedelics 101, I think obviously a lot of folks are familiar with mushrooms and perhaps LSD, but what are we talking about here generally when we're talking about psychedelics and then how do they relate to your care and and how do you see this trend playing out?
4: Okay, yeah. Psychedelics are really a term that was coined in the 60s or 50s by Humphrey Osmond. Um, Mind manifesting is kind of what they were trying to go for. The term also can apply to like fancy colors and things like that now. So an art style and music style. But the idea initially was relaxation of ordinary sense of self. Now in the modern era, since we have like brain imaging, you know, active brain imaging studies of what happens when subjects take psychedelics, we know it has something to do with some, what we call the default mode network and relaxation of the default mode network for a temporary period of time, which allows for a different type of connectivity to occur between in different parts of the Cerebral hemispheres that don't normally talk to each other. Because we're learning more about them, we have all these other terms for them. One term I've seen is psychoplastogen, that which helps to make plastic and mo- movable the psyche. And uh, neuroplastogen, you know, increasing neural connections, synaptic connections. The language is evolving as we go. We're still we're still using this term from the 50s and 60s, uh, just because it was so widespread that you know in in the press in those days. As far as what I've seen with patients and and this, um, I worked with the psilocybin research group at NYU back in 2012, 2013. They, along with other groups associated with cancer centers and UCLA, Hopkins, they really found out that you can literally change a patient's orientation to um, the dread and and the depression and anxiety associated with living with a chronic, serious, life-threatening illness if you have some preparative psychotherapy and uh, a drug-assisted therapy session with psilocybin and some follow-up visits afterwards. I think the last study showed that up to one year after such an experience for people who are dealing with serious illness, they still report significant benefits after that one session, plus the integration visits. It really is um, a big deal because in palliative care, I mean, we struggle with this all the time. I mean, every, everyone is facing mortality, of course, uh, mm-hmm. but those who live with life-threatening illness, it's much more acute to them, much more apparent in your face. Uh, you live with it every day, every night. And of course, in this pandemic situation, certainly mortality is much more acutely on your mind and, and much more so for patients who have pre-existing conditions. So I think it definitely applies uh, to a broader group of people than just those who are ill. But the research studies are really promising, and they show that you can do this safely in people that have serious illnesses like advanced cancer. Right now in our clinic in, in Seattle called Ames Institute, we offer ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Ketamine is a legal drug that's been FDA-approved for 30, 40 years for anesthesia. But it turns out that at lower doses, sub-anesthetic doses, you can disrupt the default mode network and have a psychedelic experience. What we have to watch out for is the model where it's just taking a pill a day or just an infusion. Set and setting is really important in psychedelic therapy and integration and preparation. That's what we're trying to do with ketamine in our clinic. And we've been doing it for about two years, a year and a half now. And A lot of my colleagues who are psychiatrists, uh, psychiatric nurse practitioners, and psychotherapists have seen some significant changes in patients who are struggling with PTSD, depression, anxiety, OCD. And in my practice, for patients who have pain, chronic pain, or cancer, or grief of the death of a loved one, really impressive findings where people really do get a sense of, okay, well, uh, that was a simulated death. I died. And um, it was okay. I actually recently did treat a patient who was struggling with anxiety around the COVID situation, and he has low white blood cells in general. Uh, and so it was um, he was worried about it. And he told me that after that experience, he really was able to feel connected to a much larger sense of self. He's thought about the virus itself and the connections that it was, that it was what kind of space it was living in. And he kind of had an experience around that with under his ketamine trip. Uh, it was really interesting, and and he gave him a lot of um, inner peace, and mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm that that's the kind of stuff we're doing.
2: That's fascinating.
0: What I'm most concerned about, and the launching of Silo Wellness, is how to get psychedelics in the hands of as many people as quickly and inexpensively as possible. Now I've got certain you know political and idealistic advocate uh, points of view about decriminalization in general, uh, and how, how I pray and hope that that paves the way for general use of psychedelics, but we we see that there are a lot of folks out there that could really benefit from psychedelics that need a treatment modality that they're familiar with, such as the the ketamine clinic. What, what a, a perfect example of an older gentleman feeling at peace and doing a medical-like procedure in a comfortable set and setting, and that's why we developed the psilocybin nasal spray for um for microdosing uh, metered dose of 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 psilocybin. Now that doesn't necessarily say that we even have any contemplation of replacing taking mushrooms and you know an oral capacity um or in, in tea for instance, but we wanted to present a modality that you know, folks like I'm from I'm from Kansas City, Missouri and 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 I grew up uh going to the family farms and um you know, mushrooms just don't play well in in Peoria, and definitely not in 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 Missouri, right? So they're they're frightening for various reasons. Uh, we have mycophobia in general because these are crazy little creatures that pop out of the ground limited times of the year, and we just don't have enough exposure to them to as a as a human species to really react to them contemporaneously with their emergence from the soil. So they they they're they're exciting and frightening. Now um, the way. We've addressed this particular, um, you know, quote unquote problem to solve, that, uh, being afraid, which is ironic in the sense that mushrooms all, are all about conquering fear. But first you have to conquer the fear of ingesting mushrooms. And so we <laughs> developed a, the a psilocybin nasal spray that allows someone to know what the dose is going to be in a microdosing setting. And it allows folks to wean themselves to mushrooms. Anecdotally, we found that there's, Not a lot of people that will just do a full-blown psychedelic experience without sampling the mushroom, so to speak. So there is a way to do that through a meter dosing solution. And our particular company, Silo Wellness, we're looking at this, you know, sort of a worldwide perspective. Like what, what do we want to do, you know, in this space to help people? Well, for starters, you know, we're boots on the ground in Oregon. We're on the front lines of, of a movement that should catch fire across the whole nation. And the coronavirus, again, uh, is presenting an ironic twist to everything. One, it's bringing fear to the forefront and the need for addressing um, sort of systemic societal trauma. It brings in the uh, healthcare system being pushed to the capacity. But let's not also forget the mental health care professionals out there. A lot of these poor souls that are suffering from depression and trauma that aren't able to see that one caring, compassionate person that they are are used to seeing every week. They're psychotherapists. So there's great, great uh, stresses being put on the system.
3: We're working, and I, I'm afraid I can't go into exhaustive details on this, but uh, we're working sort of on a, a, an application as well. Uh, that And this is going to be essential as we uh, continue in our social distancing to um, – uh, allow a, a bit of self-guided meditation or some some greater instruction around uh, taking a, a micro dose. And this is this is really revolved around micro dosing and, and trying to figure out what the pivots are as a result of this COVID-19 outbreak. And uh, there are certainly going to be a, a number of different implications from the business standpoint. It's going to impact uh, supply chains and uh, we're going to need to understand without the the clinical setting, we're going to have to figure out a way to understand how this is reacting with people. Uh, so we're kind of exploring avenues in that as well.
1: Is the legalization of psychedelics inevitable in your view, Mike? Absolutely.
0: Uh, And that it's even more so inevitable than cannabis because it's raining outside right now. And you know, this, this stuff grows everywhere. So it's like, it's not necessary to, to grow it in a confined operation. So when people get the message on 60 minutes, um, and, you know, once education gets out there and once more and more people are growing it, you know, you're going to have the pressure from, um, you know, just the folks that need access to it. And also, um, you know, you've got the the advocacy going on in Oregon. So when people wake up the morning after the presidential election and find out, you know, if there's a regime change or if things are going business as usual, below the fold is going to be on the front page that Oregon legalized psychedelic mushrooms
1: in a therapeutic setting
0: that's going to drive a lot of capital
1: business aside what are the spiritual implications of psychedelics and should they be considered in the larger world of public health that's coming up next on geekwire's health tech podcast this season of the geekwire health tech podcast is presented by primera blue cross at primera we talk about what we do all day we offer access to health care the card in the pocket allows people to go get access to health care Dr. John Espinola is Executive Vice President of Healthcare Services for Primera Blue Cross. The challenge we have is that we know that the healthcare that they get access to doesn't work as well as it could. So we have a duty at Primera to make healthcare work better. That's our job. We give people access to healthcare, yet we give them access to something that's subpar. We have a moral and
4: fiduciary obligation to do better.
1: We're gonna do it in partnership with those who may touch the moment of care, providers, innovators, entrepreneurs, all of these are going to help us move in the direction we need to to make healthcare work better. We're bold enough to take the risk to try to do something that'll make a difference and learn from it and be better along the way. To find out more, visit Primera.com innovation. Let's get back to our discussion about psychedelics and healthcare. Here's reporter Anastasia Ustanova asking a question to Dr. Sunil Agarwal about the spiritual side of this movement and its role in healthcare.
2: In this kind of conversation they're always so clinical and you know there is this element of woo-woo if you will always lacking but i would like to sort of explore the spiritual aspect of what mike was just talking about discovering the true self and like sort of separating the emotions and realizing that you're not your emotions you're not your fears and so on and so forth so, you know, I know that in spiritual circles, there is a lot of discussion right now about what's happening in the coronavirus, sort of bringing on this great awakening, if you will, to humanity. And it has a lot of positive implications for all of us which, you know, you may, may not see just curious about your thoughts. And also let's assume psychedelics are legal in five years. We have this amazing system in place and clinics everywhere. Is this part of like the new earth and like the greater awakening that, (laughs) do you see it like that? Like what's I mean, I'm really curious about like, what what do you think about that?
4: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I've recently written a chapter for a Rutledge handbook on cannabis, and I was asked to write on public health. My topic was about cannabis uh, as an entheogen and other entheogens and the role that they play in health. We made a big mistake when we cut out spiritual aspects of health. We did a disservice if we just sort of think we figured that one out and and reduced it science and then therefore health and medicine, medicine and health into that sort of bubble. And that that's been pushed back on for the last 20, 30 years with this integrative health movement, integrative science, integrative medicine. Um, that's an emerging idea that we need to put different ways of looking at the world together. Um, and and that one of those ways is is the in the spiritual lens. And and the WHO has said Several of their councils have said we have to basically include spiritual in our definition of health, and that highest level of health includes emotional, physical, spiritual dimensions. I do think we we really gonna psychedelics and cannabis these these kind of medicines force us to shift our paradigm away from a hyper materialist view of health and disease. I'm not, I'm not saying that we do we need to give that up or or whatever, but spiritual health is critical. And you know, in palliative care, we've already—it's a board-certified specialty. It's been around for you know in the United States for 20 years, or, or and people have been doing it in hospice longer than that. We already recognize that if you don't help people's spiritual distress, you're never going to make their pain any better, their anxiety better. They're not going to have that good death, and the the people that um, live on after them. They're going to be distressed and traumatized, and it's just going to be this, you know, cycle of misery. So spiritual um, assessment is required, you know, under Medicare rules, and you have to have spiritual health experts uh, and chaplains and doctors who know it, nurses who know it. Everybody has to know it. To me, psychedelic medicine and psychedelic therapies, if we don't bring in spiritual partners, um, a spiritual model, um, we will end up hurting people. We'll miss, we'll miss things. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, there is all the issues that, that come with the um, profit-driven, hyper-capitalistic model, which can make it hard to access care. It's very expensive, you know, to um, run something through the FDA. Uh, it's very expensive, and as long as insurance companies stay away from it, it's going to be expensive but what if you have models where your your business model is not just selling drugs but it's also training health professionals training programs education programs harm reduction programs we're trying to explore how can you do this without it being really really expensive at the at the other end for the end user to keep it respectful of the traditions that it comes from and we're talking about how to in- integrate some kind of spiritual health angle uh, and also how to make it wise for business investors or, you know, as you're developing your own company, Mike, thinking about what other streams of revenue can you have that can make it so that it's not all all dependent on selling something.
0: Well, and I think along with what Sunil's saying, the holistic medicine, like I, when I think of psilocybin, I think of DMT, I think about treating the whole person, the mind, body, and spirit, the mind, body, and soul. And what do I mean by that? Let's take microdosing, for example. And, I, and I'm not talking sub-psychedelic levels. That's, that's sub perceptual. I'm talking sub psychedelic levels, you can perceive the effects of psilocybin, for instance. What does that do for the, the mind and body? And I, I think having legalization in Oregon where folks can take a quote unquote microdose and feel the effects, and then without having a psychedelic session, go speak to their therapist, they're going to perceive an introspection, a level of introspection and communication and openness that uh, will just blow their mind.
3: I absolutely think that we're on a path to legalization just uh, for, for all the holistic and spiritual reasons that, uh, that were just stated. I, I'd also like to emphasize that there's probably a practical drive behind that as well. By this either self-imposed or uh, regulated uh, seclusion uh, that we're all experiencing right now, I, I think that we're also going to, by necessity, develop a, a, a greater degree of, of self-sufficiency um, and introspection. And that is what, what we've been discussing, uh, the benefits of of this substance the entire time. Uh, so we're, we're going to see a lot more, uh, home-based holistic therapy. I I think that this is just part and parcel to what we're discussing here. Uh, yeah, there's absolutely a, a spiritual awakening, uh, that is occurring from this. And yeah, I think that's going to be a very beneficial component in, uh, bringing, psychedelics and and mushrooms in particular to the forefront uh however just looking at it from a purely practical standpoint i'm not entirely convinced we're gonna have a choice so i I guess we'll have to wait and see we were comparing uh cannabis and psychedelics and i i was a bit surprised to uh, having been in the cannabis industry for so long I, i was always a bit surprised to see how how furtively society's really held on to their apprehensions around that plant. There seems to be a a whole lot of social resistance to that. And maybe it's my left coast bubble, uh, but I simply do not see that same level of of animosity toward uh, mushrooms in particular. I I see a lot more uh, of a broad social acceptance. This runs in direct contradiction to what uh, Mike said about the the folks in Missouri. Uh, So maybe it is just my left coast bubble. But I I think that the, the general... Uh, mentality. And I mean, look at the, the popularity of microdosing in, in Silicon Valley and Mountain View. I mean, it's sort of that whispered uh, secret that there's a, you know, a lot of microdosing going on in the, in the development of a lot of our software for exactly the focus reasons that, that Mike just uh, mentioned earlier. I, I don't know if that contributes to a, a broader uh, lack of, of social rejection, but I, I genuinely think society as a whole is going to be a little bit more open to embracing this than they were cannabis.
1: Dr. Agarwal, I can imagine some people listening to this in the healthcare industry in particular saying, wait a second, FDA, clinical trials, what do you say to people who are worried about risks and thinking about the traditional healthcare pipeline for approval of drugs when you talk about psychedelics? What needs to happen and and what are the concerns that you can address?
4: Yes. uh, So first of all, um, psychedelics and um, uh, the ketamine I was talking to you about earlier has been in, involved in medicine for older than most of our, like adivan Valium. It's, it's, it's a very old drug. Um, and so ketamine being this one that, you know, has already been in medical hands for many years as generic for many decades now. Um, people people should know that doctors know how to use it uh, and have been using it for quite some time. And I, I first saw it used in, in pediatric settings in the, in the emergency room at Children's Hospital in Seattle, um, you know, for anesthesia purposes, sub anesthetic doses are way different and way, and way safer. Um, and so we, and in, in my field in pain and palliative care, uh, there's many, many things that we don't have FDA approved drugs for. And I think like half of prescriptions in the United States are off label. So FDA, um, uh, never studied it for the indication that it's being prescribed for in a particular, you know, medical setting. And that, that's very common. The reason we have that process, you know, uh, for making claims of safety and efficacy across, uh, across the country. And, um, at least, at least with ketamine, there's already a, an indication that's been known and used. So um, it's just about making sure that people are well trained. These models that we're using are really—they're um, based in, in uh, clinical experience uh, and and research that's been going on in the. Uh, for the last, you know, 10 plus years. And and some of this research is being done at, at the world's largest research hospital, the NIH. I saw clinical studies of ketamine there. They just didn't have a psychedelic model. They were more like you know, put, put in, infuse it in your system. Now, will it, will it, uh, could it potentially add if you add a psychedelic layer of preparative psychotherapy, experiential psychotherapy, integrative psychotherapy? Definitely. Yes. And that's what we're, we're trying to study that at our clinic, um, Ames Institute and many others are, are already publishing research on this so it's it's safe to do that and if you're in this field as a clinician you should try to publish your results or do treatment observational studies so that other people can learn what you're doing and you have some research oversight but in general doctors have been treating patients off label for for a long time when it comes to psilocybin it's way older than ketamine we have cave paintings uh carvings all over the world you know in mesoamerica and there's caves in northern africa many other places people have written about mushrooms in in medieval christian art you know in in major cathedrals in europe uh, and by the way there is a in in europe in and holland uh the Netherlands, it's legal also to um, use psilocybin. The United States is especially draconian when it comes to these things because of the war on drugs. But uh, there, there was a long history of use in in spiritual traditions and communities and, and in medicine. Uh, we've been using ketamine for some time. So that's sort of my response to to calm people down about this is just being this thing that's very fresh. I think you should get trained. Doctors who are interested in this should go for some additional training. Nurses, there's lots of training programs now. And I think ultimately the public is going to be more comfortable once they know that medicalization is happening and we're taking care of uh, the sick patients who need monitoring to let this be much more um, community centered. Uh, I think think they, they go together and medicine is used to dealing with managing these kind of risks. That was
1: Dr. Sunil Agarwal with journalist Anastasia Ustinova and entrepreneurs Mike Arnold and Eric Boone. Find links to more information about each of them in the show notes on this podcast and the related post at geekwire.com slash where you can also find stories by Anastasia Ustinova about Mike Arnold and Silo Wellness, and also about Dr. Sunil Agarwal and the implications of psychedelics for mental health amid the COVID-19 crisis. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. If you have questions or feedback on this episode, you can reach me at editor at geekwire.com. Thanks to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 4, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at primera.com innovation. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business and more, go to geekwire.com and sign up for our podcast newsletter to hear all of our shows. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with another episode of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast.